0: Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? Weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive? I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator? At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack.
1: Dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you. Now you're going to die.
0: You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? how could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls.
2: Planky County 911. There's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in.
0: What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at What Was That Like.
1: Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett.
3: On this episode, an Israeli archaeologist describes the discovery of one of the most important artifacts mentioned in the Old Testament Joshua's altar.
2: It's sort of a piece of every Jew who reads the Bible and Christian. Once they get to this part, in Deuteronomy, and they read about the commandment by God to build this altar as the Israelites crossed into Israel, it really hits you that this is something real. For me, it's very special, the whole idea of doing an offering to God, connected with God. This is a spot where the Israelites really connected.
3: You can become an official Patreon supporter of my work here at Strange Planet Productions by donating a monthly amount through patreon.com forward slash patreon.com forward slash strange There are several tiers to choose from. Pick which one is right for you, but any monthly amount is greatly appreciated. As a sign of my appreciation, you can have your name mentioned on air during my weekly radio show, or you could have your name included in a crawl on my YouTube channel live stream. You could also receive episodes of my old podcast, The Rock and Roll Twilight Zone. This critically acclaimed podcast, produced in partnership with Chris Jericho, is not currently available anywhere else. If you enjoy this podcast or my weekly radio program, The Conspiracy Show, you can really get behind me and my work by donating once a month at patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange
1: planet. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption. The secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett.
3: Welcome to your Wednesday. Harry Moskoff is here joining me from Israel. Joshua chapter 8 verse 30. Then Joshua built an altar in Mount Eval to the Lord, the God of Israel. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded, the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of unhewn stones, upon which no man has lifted an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord, and sacrificed peace offerings. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote upon the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. Unlike the Western Wall or the Tomb of the Patriarchs, the exact location of the Altar of Joshua was unknown until it was unearthed by University of Haifa archeologist Adam zertel in 1980. Zertl's claim that this was Joshua's altar was never universally accepted. Moreover, its location in Samaria placed it in the heart of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and kept the site from development as an archeological park. Earlier this month, however, a municipal Palestinian work crew hauled rocks from an exterior biblical era wall surrounding the altar for use in paving a Road. The outcry over the harm caused to the site refocused attention on the altar from the Iron Age, and re-sparked calls by the Israeli right to transform it into an archaeological park. Archaeologist Harry Moskov, author of The Ark Report, is involved in the restoration of the altar, and he joins me now. Hey Harry, welcome back to Conspiracy Unlimited. It's been a while. How are you?
2: Good, thanks. Great to hear, and great to hear your voice again, Richard.
3: So, mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy, and also the book of Joshua, is the altar of Joshua. What does Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua say about this archaeological site, the altar of Joshua?
2: Right. Uh, it's it's really a very, very special area, to be honest. Uh, here in Israel, uh, in northern Israel, Samaria, uh, you know, about Ebal, Ebal in Hebrew, and uh, it's it's uh, very special for a number of reasons. There are a bunch of biblical events, very uh, important biblical events that happened there uh, between Mount Guizim and Mount Ebal, where the Ark of the Covenant, so of course, uh, you know, familiar with my own work, uh, to my Buck, the Ark Report, but it has over there, the Ark of the Covenant was there, and there was blessing and also in that area. But uh, God has a, a specific commandment to build the altar, uh, and it says uh, basically a couple of years. Well, right after the it was right after the Israelites passed over the Jordan River and conquered Jericho, uh, God commands them to build an altar to Him out of stones, whole stones, natural uncut stones, and to rejoice there. And uh, that's like you said in Deuteronomy, uh, I think it's 27, uh, chapter 27, uh, verses 5 to 8, if i remember correctly. Anyway, it's right there. I've been there twice, actually. It's an amazing place. And uh, it says in the Torah, in the Bible, that uh, to actually build it, uh, this was exactly 3,333 years ago. I figured that out. It was uh, very interesting uh, when that actually happened. So it was, it was told by, uh, by God to Joshua and to all of Israel, really, first to Moses. And then when Joshua actually did set it up, uh, that's also recorded in the book of Joshua, uh, chapter 8. I think it's verse 30 and 31. Uh, but basically, he, Joshua sets it up, and, uh, and all of Israel, the ancient Israelites, celebrate there. and They pick offerings, uh, different peace offerings, different types of offerings there. They were there for a number of years, actually, in that area. And really finding it, which, which happened in the 1980s, and we can explain that later if you like, how that happened, which is also basically a miracle, uh, you know, ended up being, in my opinion, a proof uh, of the, the truth of the Bible that these things actually happened, and it's, uh, it's really biblical archaeology at its best, uh, in my opinion.
3: You mentioned its discovery, and this happened in 1980 by the University of Haifa's archaeologist Adam Zertel. Hard to right. imagine that it was just there, but undiscovered, or, or was it? Did it have to be excavated? Tell me about Zertel's work in the area.
2: Right. Okay, that's a very good question, actually, because everybody asks that. It's it's sort of like the elephant in the room. Three thousand. You're trying to tell me that for three thousand years, this altar, which really stands out if you look at it today, uh, on the north, uh, I guess it's the northeastern ridge of Mount uh, Eval that uh, nobody saw it, nobody discovered it. The truth is, it was it was just a pile, a huge mound of stones, of rocks, and it just looked like a big pile, like a big mound of rocks all those years. What happened was, you know, thousands of years ago, they piled rocks on top of the site to preserve it, essentially. The the holiness of it, the sacredness of it, and uh, when Adam Zertel actually did a survey of the area, first in 1980, uh, he, he started just, basically removing all those rocks just to see what was... He was he's not even religious. He wasn't... I mean, he passed away several years ago, but he wasn't religious at all. The last thing he expected, in fact, he didn't know what it was, but he found uh, several pot shards there, uh, the stones dating all the way back to the Iron Age, uh, early Iron Age. And then uh, it was so, it was so uh, basically, uh, you know, interesting and enlightening and he was so... Sort of uh, taken by it, that he decided to, to start a real excavation in 1987, and then uh, found the animal bones there and actually, you know, discovered it. But but until then, it was just a heap of stones. And there were people that did go looking for it. There was uh, all kinds of archaeologists from France and England that came hundreds of years before that to Israel, uh, and also the Palestine Exploration Fund. This was sent by Queen Victoria about 150 years ago uh, during the Ottoman Empire. And they didn't find anything because they were essentially looking at the wrong place. They were looking on the south side of Mount Ival, which is facing Mount Grisim. So they figured that, you know, the whole story of the blessings and the curses, etc., the Ark, was in that area. So they just figured that the, that the uh, sacrificial altar would also be there when in fact it 's really on the other side of the mountain on the northeastern ridge, so that was quite a surprise for him It actually transformed him from a completely secular uh, Israeli archaeologist to a religious a religious one that 's the whole story herself
3: and how was it determined without any doubt that this was in fact joshua 's altar
2: he could the truth is adam couldn 't actually or doctors would tell couldn't really figure out what it was. He tried to compare it, as, as we do in biblical archaeology. We try to, first of all, whatever we find, we try to compare it to other things, you know, that, that are in the area, other ritual Celtic uh, artifacts. You know, uh, he looked in Lebanon, at certain uh, temples that were there, certain, you know, different things. He couldn't find anything over the period of six months. And what happened one day, he was drawing it out in a uh, certain... Uh, I guess, a dining hall in one of the yeshuvim, one of the small communities around the Samaria area. And a religious an Orthodox Jew, a religious guy came over and looked at his drawings and said, is that what you discovered? Because it was known that they were doing a survey, etc. And he said, yeah. He goes, wait a minute. He quickly brings back a, a Mishnah, which is part of the, the oral law of the Torah, you know, a tractate of the Talmud, uh, which deals all with things that have to do with the temple, how the temple was set up. He says, does it look like this? And he shows up a big picture of the sacrificial altar during the Herodian temple about 2,000 years ago. And sure enough, there were many, many uh, significant resemblance. The resemblance was undeniable. And he put two and two together, and he cleared a couple of things out. And sure enough, you see this picture of a ramp leading up to the altar, and uh he was really I think he shocked the whole the whole world really, but definitely the archaeological world. Uh, not all of them wanted to believe it at first. He had a, a lot of peers where he was sort of like a famous one day he was famous as being this genius archaeologist and the next day he was unfortunately uh well say defamed, but you know, at that time in Israel archaeology was very sort of uh scientifically based an anti-Bible, like, uh, you know, so they really gave him a hard time, and they ignored this paper, and now everybody sort of accepts, most people accept that, yes, that this has to be the site. There's really no denying it.
3: The description of the altar in either Deuteronomy or the book of Joshua, what would it have looked like? Was it enclosed? Was it open air? What did it look like?
2: Well, it's it's right in the field, in the open field. I, I mean, we're, one of the projects... The project that I'm doing now, this is very exciting, is actually trying to get this whole area made into a, a park, like an actual conservation natural Jewish heritage site, which, you know, tourists can come. I can bring them in as part of my, my tours and, and show people, yes, this is the actual altar uh, that Joshua made uh, 3,000 years ago. So this is uh, 3,200 years ago or so. So this is very, very uh, an, an important thing. And uh, right now you just walk out there, and you just see it. You just, you know, it's right there on top of the mountain. It's surrounded a little bit by a wall, uh, by this wall about, uh, I guess, four feet. You know, you see a ramp going up to the altar, and it's, uh, there's, it's sort of a square about ten feet high. It's pretty big. It's pretty big. It's about two meters by two meters. The square part on top, like they really did hundreds and hundreds of offerings there. Uh, you can see that, and uh, it, but it's very, very special, very inspirational site. But it's it's just out in the open. It's, it's a military. It's actually a military, a military closed area because it's very close to Damlos, which is very dangerous.
3: Right, it's uh, in part of the Israeli-Palestinian, an area of conflict. Right, this is in Samaria, so the Palestinians say that this is disputed territory, and so it's it's right. there. Tell me how this recently sort of got into the news because it involved some municipal Palestinian work that was going on in the area.
2: Right, exactly. It was sort of in the on the back burner. Uh, people didn't really except if you're really into archaeology, etc., uh, then you really sort of. I mean, you know, it's there, but in, in terms of the public, well, most people didn't really know about it uh, until this happened. What happened was uh, the PA, the Palestinian Authority, wanted to make and wants to make a road from essentially from Madlis to a nearby town, going through and up this mountain of like a shortcut uh, to another Arab city in the area. So they started work on this road, uh, essentially a dirt road, and they they uh, used. They sort of uh, encroached, I guess, on this outer wall surrounding uh, the altar. Now, it didn't touch the altar itself, which would have been a huge outcry, a real uh, desecration. Uh, But they touched the wall that's surrounding it, which is also very special, because it's one of the six, quote-unquote, footprints uh, that we have in Samaria, a very, very interesting uh, idea that's, that's in the Jordan Valley, Uh, these sandal-shaped walls enclosures uh, signify a foothold in the country when the Israelites came in. But basically what happened was they were building this road, and they encroached and They used some of the stones from the fence uh, for the road. So that was really, once we found out about that, uh, the whole community was up in arms, and, and it was like, you know, this just can't happen. I think between you and me, Richard, that uh, the PA was sort of testing the waters. You know, can we do this? Can we not do that? Now that Biden is in office, by the Biden-Harris uh, ticket. So they're trying to, you know, now that there's a two-state solution back on the table, so now they're trying to make inroads uh, to these areas that are, like you said, disputed, you know, politically, and, uh, and trying to get in there. So, you know, I'm not sure what uh, their intentions are, but certainly it, it, uh, it put this altar back on the back into the headlines, that's
3: for sure. Is it uh, likely that the Palestinian Authority would have preferred that the location was, I don't know, either destroyed or forgotten about because the the altar would seem to sort of solidify Israel's claim to Samaria, given that it goes back, you know, to, to the Iron Age?
2: Absolutely hundred percent. You're right about that. Uh, I mean, since then, which this happened a couple of weeks ago, uh, we've, we've seen all kinds of NGOs, like left-wing NGOs, like Ava Chavez, which is a purely, you know, political organization, that Palestine should be freed, et cetera. And, you know, we have all these organizations coming out uh, saying, you know, this is, Really, uh, Palestinian. Of course, they do want to, if they had it their way, you know, they wouldn't try to erase a lot of that connection to the Jewish heritage in the air, which they've done before. It's nothing new and it, it happens all the time, unfortunately. There's uh, over a thousand archaeological sites in the Judea Samaria area that have already been looted and desecrated. Uh, you know, we just can't, uh, we can't sort of supervise or video everything, but this is in a place called area B, which is essentially uh, controlled by the Palestinian Authority as opposed to area C, which is controlled by uh, you know the Jewish and you know israel sovereignty so area b even though security is is guaranteed by the IDF or the israel defense forces because the Palestinians have sort of like a day to day control uh, they try to get into these places and sort of, you know, erase the facts on the ground, just to call it spade a spade. So it's very important that we, this project that we're doing, is to, to really sort of, even if there is a two-state solution and that area goes to them, we still need to, to solidify this area as a Jewish heritage site and its connection to Israel, including the West Bank and Samaria. Its biblical connection uh, is, is hugely important not just to jews of course to uh you know to christians to 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 everyone really
3: right and had it been on the radar i suppose it likely would have been included or mentioned under the oslo accords in the uh the early to mid 90s and then perhaps afforded some protection but it but because it wasn't now it's kind of up in the air
2: well right it wasn't specifically mentioned in the oslo Accords, but in general it was mentioned under holy archaeological sites, like, uh, you know, sacred Jewish sites, uh, you know, that have important artifacts. It wasn't mentioned by name like some of the other ones, the big ones, you know, the Tomb of the the Patriarchs and and Chemo, etc. But there are five stipulations in the Oslo Accords uh, that, you know, that stipulate very clearly that Jewish heritage sites like this one, sacred sites, cannot be touched. Uh, under the Palestinian Authority, and, and uh, but once the the Jewish forces, the Israeli forces, moved out of some of these areas, it, it was just a matter of weeks before they went in and destroyed one. The biggest one, of course, back then in the year 2000 or so, was the Tomb of Je- of Joseph, which was really destroyed uh, only two weeks later. So that was that was a, a hard lesson to learn. Uh, But it is a breach. Having the site really is a breach of the Oslo Accords. It's just like you mentioned, it's just not there uh, specifically, which would have helped. It's true.
3: More of my conversation with Harry Moskoff when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. Start feeling rejuvenated right now. Order your one-month supply of Super Tea and GI Joy today from GetTheTea.com. This Super Tea is specifically formulated to cleanse your kidneys, liver, colon, and blood all at once. And of course, the colon is one of the most ignored organs in the human body. The faster that waste is eliminated from the body, the less time that waste sits in our intestines, spreading toxins to our bloodstream. Life Change Tea is not the same tea that you buy in the store off the shelf. Life Change Tea is eight powerful herbs blended together to maximize your health. You also get 60 capsules of the GI Joy, which contains colostrum, which helps to assist in maintaining a healthy digestive tract. It also helps maintain a healthy immune system. Super Tea and GI Joy from Get The Tea For a healthy digestion and a healthy immune system. Use the code UNLIMITED and all your orders ship for free. Consult your healthcare professional before using this product. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, do not use without consulting a healthcare professional.
1: Theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later.
3: Harry Moskoff is here and we're talking about Joshua's altar mentioned in Deuteronomy and the Book of Joshua. Talk to me about your involvement in protecting and preserving this site, and building uh, or incorporating it into conservation area.
2: Well, that's that's something that I'm very very excited about. I actually, I'm looking at a letter right now that's signed by my colleagues. At least 40, I think there's 50 signatures here for the biggest, uh, the most famous archaeologist archeolog- here in Israel, saying uh, to the a letter to the defense minister, which is Benny Gantz that something must be done about this, that uh, this is the only site that we have from, I'm just reading it in Hebrew now, translating it, uh, the only site that we have from the early Iron Age in Israel, and it's extremely important, which is about 1200 uh, B.C. uh, And it's extremely important to protect it, no matter what, uh, from anybody harming it, uh, you know, political, apolitical, it doesn't really matter, but it's your job, essentially, as the defense minister, to make sure that the the uh, you know idea comes across. Put it that way. I'm uh, just saying it in nice terms to the Palestinian Authority that any anybody uh, infringing on the site will be uh, there'll be severe consequences in the future, now and in the future. And it's funny because this list of archaeologists is. Both, uh, most of them are completely secular, not just the religious ones, which was a surprise to me as well. Um, so I just, I'm getting together with some of these archaeologists, uh, friends of mine, and we're going to try as much as we can, along with the uh, regional council of Siberia, to to go there and actually make it into a official, uh, you know, official. Sort of sanctified area where we can bring people on tours and, and ensure that this remains uh, something that's going to be, uh, I guess, a uh, holy site, as it were, for all time. We also have the Israeli president, Mivlin. Uh, he also urged the army to protect the West Bank. Uh, well, sort of like a shrine, I guess, at this point. And uh, we hopefully will be meeting with him as well. I mean, uh, there's a lot to be done. There's uh A meeting coming up with the Shavuot Council. Uh, Yossi, uh, as it was, uh, uh, Yossi, not Yossi Palin, there's there's a couple of Yossis here, I'm reading. But uh, some of the people that were there, actually, that went to the White House with Trump, who was very much into, uh, as you know, you know, uh, Israel holding onto these sites, whether it's the Golan or the South. Uh, But we need the Shavuot Council, and we need also... Uh, some of the other archaeologists even in, uh, that are in America. Scott Schrippling is another one. Uh, some of the people that have worked on other sites, nearby sites in Shiloh, for instance. And we're really going to go ahead. And for me, what I want to do personally is I want to actually go there and, and rebuild sort of, Kadesh uh, is the Hebrew word, sort of uh, refurbish in a way the altar itself you know, fill it in where it needs filling in with earth, uh, which I checked, according to Jewish law, you're allowed to do that, and uh, so that, that's also something very, very important uh, to, to actually make it, you know, sort of uh, completed,
3: as it were. Right, and do you hope also to do some additional excavating, archaeological, uh, additional digging around the altar in hopes of finding other artifacts?
2: Yes, indeed. In fact, that has been done in the past under the radar. Uh, that's, you know, uh, something that's very important. And, you know, finally we will find other, especially in that area where the Israelites were for for years, before spreading out and conquering the rest of Israel, it was uh, going to Shiloh, uh, where they were for 369 years, it's it's very important uh, that whole area about uh, besides having an incredible view. By the way, if you come to Israel, I'll take you there, hopefully. But uh, it's it's really a special site, and uh, you know we hope to to do more archaeological work there as well. As you said, absolutely.
3: And uh, aside from its obvious importance to the state of Israel as a as a heritage site. Speaking from a more of a religious uh, standpoint or biblical standpoint, explain the significance of this find. What it means?
2: Wow. Well, I mean, the the fact that it sparked such a large, a huge outcry means that it's 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 got a it's sort of a piece of every Jew who reads the Bible and Christian, anybody who any scholar or any could be any religion or, or even somebody who just reads the Bible, uh, you know, for for pleasure. Once they get to this part in Deuteronomy, and they read about the commandment by God to build this, this altar as the Israelites cross into, you know, after they cross into Israel um, from, you know, the Jordan. It really hits you that this is something really real. And it's, it's not just something made up. It's not just a story. You see it, and you're there. And it, uh, you know, once you see in the images, you know, if you Google it, uh, the, the altar of Joshua, on uh, Mount Ebal, I- you really get this feeling, wow, this thing really existed. And for me, it's very special, the whole idea of doing an, an offering to God, making an offering and connecting with God. This is a spot where the Israelites really connected. And uh, when you read about it like that and you see, you know what, this is a place where thousands, millions of, of these ancient Hebrews and Israel and Jews, you know, connected to God, before conquering the air to Israel, the land of Israel, it's, it's really striking and very, you know, it sort of strikes a chord inside. I think it could be anybody, really. And that's why there was such a big outcry. I think it surprised about the PA, the Palestinian Authority, also. I'm sure they weren't expecting such a huge, uh, you know, outpouring of, of concern. And also, you know, look, you know, and it sort of brings to mind all the other things that happened. And for anything to do, if they were to even go near the altar, like an, the altar itself, I mean, in Jewish law, it's it's actually a prohibition to remove any of the stones from that altar. And not just that altar, any altar that was used to serve the God of Israel, like the one God, is uh, forbidden to, it's like it's an actual uh, uh, sin, to take one or to dismantle it. So uh, that's for anybody. Right. Not just Jews, but... So the
3: you have obviously, as we've discussed prior, uh, a huge interest in the Ark of the Covenant. And so according to the account in either Deuteronomy or the book of Joshua, the the Ark at one point was taken to the altar. Is that true?
2: Yes, it was taken. Once the Jews came into uh, Israel, they went to Gilgal for 14 years with the tabernacle. But during that time, as the Tabernacle was set up in Gilgal, they took the Ark out, and they went and they conquered uh, Jericho, went around seven times, and the walls fell, as we know. And uh, there were a couple other uh, battles there that were lost and then won, etc. And then the Ark finally uh, went up, as, as the Jews left Jericho in that area, went up towards the mouth of uh, of, uh Ibao, Mount Ibao, and, and then so the ark came in and actually sat between those two mountains, uh, the mountain of Grizim and the mountain of And that's where uh, the commandment was that uh, the blessings should be said on Mount Grizim and the curses on Mount Ibaal. And the ark was sitting in the middle, in the valley in the middle. So it definitely was there. And, uh, and when you go there itself, I have to tell you, whenever I go there, which is, it's hard to get to now, as uh, we do, it's a military enclosed zone, but the energy there, and the, the, you know, right there where Joseph is also buried in Nablus, the energy is, it's just, if you're sensitive to that type of thing, it's so strong, it's so powerful of an area, you just, you just know that something very, very significant happened. And like you said, the I was there as well, not with the not with the tabernacle, it actually went. The tabernacle stayed in Gilgal for 14 years, but the ark went to different places, and uh, that's one of the reasons, by the way, that they could construct an altar in the first place. And uh, The reason why is because the ark was not inside the tabernacle. When the ark is not together inside the tabernacle with the altar and the tabernacle, then you can each person can have a a altar for themselves. Ah, uh, and, and offer their own sacrifices. Right. till this day, actually.
3: In other words, if the ark is in the tabernacle, you can't build any other altars.
2: Right. Right, which is the case when it was in Shiloh for 369 years. So everyone had to bring the sacrifices there, all the Jews. Uh, but a non-Jew, a Gentile, can definitely, even today, bring, uh, believe it or not, I've seen this myself, it's fascinating, uh, come to Israel and bring an offering uh, of the road if they know if they do it properly. But uh yeah, that happened again in King David's time when the when the tabernacle went was destroyed in Shiloh and the tabernacle went to uh, Nov and Gibbon and the Ark was he right here in Shemesh, and it was it was, it was you know, in uh, the Philistines actually took the Ark and there's a whole story of what happened there and it went back to Beit Shemesh and then 20 years in Kiryat Arim uh, before it went to the temple, before King David took it to the temple. So then the Ark was also away from the Tabernacle uh, at that point as well.
3: And um, any updates on your search for the Ark?
2: Well, we're getting closer. We are getting closer every day. There's new things being found. Uh, now with the, you know, it was more active PC, that's what I call it, before Corona. <laughs> but... uh you know, we are getting back. Things are coming back. The lockdown here in Israel is lifting, thank God. Uh, so now we're, these parks are opening, and we're actually getting down. we're doing some research into some cisterns uh, beneath the Temple Mount, and we're getting closer. There some tunnels are opening up, we're finding. And so uh, I'm also working on my second book of the Ark Report, which has a lot of new discoveries related to the Ark and the, the vessels as well of the tabernacle and the temples itself. So there are some things happening slowly but surely, uh, getting closer. And it's uh, it is you know you have to hang in there. It's it's coming coming soon.
3: Also, you're you're looking for artifacts from the uh, the Second Temple. Any developments right. there?
2: Yeah, so that's all connected because articles of the Second Temple actually provide clues to where the Ark is as well. And according to my theory, and you know I've pretty much proven this uh, many ways. The Ark is under the Temple Mount, uh, about eight meters, and approximately southwest of the Dome of the Rock. And uh, I prove this uh, in my book. And so there are different ways to get there, but finding the vessels, which are also in a different place. It says in the Talmud, uh, the vessels of the Tabernacle, when the Temple was made, uh, King Solomon, before putting the Ark in the Temple... He actually hid some of the vessels of the temple, the courtyard, etc., uh, different, you know, boards and beams and things like that underneath the temple mount. There's like four layers of mazes, uh, which Maimonides, uh actually uh, speaks about under there uh, in the temple mount. And so we actually have a whole bunch of of things that you know ways of getting in and uh, seeing those vessels. And once we see those vessels, it could lead us very easily, well, hopefully, uh, to the Ark itself. But there are different places around Israel as well. And in the Vatican as well, we're, we're actually arranging, hopefully, a tour. To uh, Maybe your listeners will be interested in this as well. Uh, they can contact me you know, through my website, et cetera, or Facebook. But uh, we're organizing a tour to the Vatican. Uh, and as I know, through my research, and literally firsthand accounts, uh, that there are two things in the Vatican today. Uh the big menorah is not there, like everyone seems to think, like the big candelabra. Uh not there. But the uh the golden headplate of the high priest is there and there are certain uh, places here in, uh close by in Jerusalem which we also uh I have permission to do excavations for as well as uh, other places. You know, things are coming out, different clues, things that have been written by certain rabbis uh, that lived 100 years ago. I also have a map, a very interesting map uh, that that pinpoints a place sort of in central Jerusalem. And uh, I don't want to say anything too, you know, over the air publicly uh, at the moment, but uh, it is exciting. There are things we're pursuing, uh, but all over the board, Definitely with permission, uh, uh, you know, either from the the Israeli Antiquities Authority, uh, the government, we actually have the signs. So we're doing that. There is a bit of a delay, of course, because of Corona and, uh, you know, getting everything back to work and getting over there. But uh, it is exciting because we are getting closer every day. I really believe that uh, to these things, you know, coming out at the right time, God willing. And uh, it's exciting. Yeah, we just have to sort of hang in there, hold on, you know, and keep going.
3: In the meantime, people can go to net. Harry H-M-O-S-K-O-F-F. net, And uh, they can also get a copy of the ARC report. That's available at the website as well as Amazon, I believe.
2: Right. Uh, Amazon and also uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, And, of course, you can contact me directly. I'd love to sign a copy, or if you're here in Israel, uh, I'll bring you to some of these places. Uh, Hopefully things will open up and, you know, we'll start traveling again. But, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, You know, either one of those places is, uh, is fine.
3: Terrific. Harry, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for the update.
2: No problem. My pleasure,
1: Richard.
3: Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments to give you a few details about an upcoming episode. C60 EVO delivers the Miracle Molecule ESS60 It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share c C60 Evo with those you love? ESS 60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS-60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60 Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code EVRS at checkout and save 10%. ESS-60 from C60 Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. Coming up next time, author Wallace Wagner Jr. on UFOs in the Bible and how to prepare Christians for disclosure. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now.
1: A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now.